This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, everybody. It's been a while, but welcome back to the Fenway Rundown. This is Mass Live's Red Sox podcast, and I'm the host, Chris Cotillo, joined as I frequently am by my co-beat writer, Chris Smith. We have a lot to unpack since we last last talked to you at the beginning of September. It's obviously been um, kind of, I think the first half of September was really slow for the Red Sox, not a lot going on. And then at the end of the year, a few big performances. Performances, a big decision to part ways with Ron Renneke. And now, as the playoffs are underway in Texas and California, the Red Sox are sitting out for the second straight year. And all the focus at on Jersey Street is really uh, on the offseason ahead, and, and namely to start how they're going to replace Ron Renneke. Um, I think, and Chris will agree, the decision that they made to part ways with Renneke was not a surprise at all. The timing was a little awkward, but. Um, after that season, after him being in a one-year deal and him seeming like a temporary replacement, I think that was not something that caught anybody off guard, even him. Yeah, I mean, you know, somebody sent me a message, a direct message on Twitter the day before, and they were like, what's the chances of Renneke not coming back next year? And I said, no, what's the chances of, yeah, what's the chances of not coming back? I said 99.9%. I mean, I think that everybody assumed it. I think everybody assumed it all year. Um, that, you know, Bloom would want to bring his own guy in there, um, whether that's his own guy or whether he feels like Alex Kors is his own guy, you know, maybe that's a potential, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think everybody assumed it, you know, from day one that, that this was only a, uh, you know, they did take the interim tag off, but it really wasn't it. It was, it was basically an interim thing. Right. Yeah. That was, uh. I think people kind of misunderstood when they took the interim tag off that this mean this meant he was going to be around for a while. That was just kind of guaranteeing him the year, and um, they wouldn't do more than that. Um, you know, I think for everything that went on, obviously they were horrible for most of the year. They're a little bitter at the end, but you know, still a last place team uh, for all of that and uh, for everything that that went wrong. I think Renicky did an admirable job, just you know, guiding everybody through this, and he didn't have a lot to really. Uh, views in terms of pitching talent at least and it was clear that if the team wanted to contend maybe Hauk would have been up earlier Pavetta would have been up earlier so um, he was given a, a raw deal obviously but he was also given a chance to manage in the majors and that's only something that 30 guys a year uh, get to do so um, yeah, a little unfortunate that, go ahead well yeah I think that you know Bloom admitted that that you know he wasn't he wasn't really given the fair chance you know and and um you know, obviously injuries to Sale and Eduardo Rodriguez, and then, you know, people forget about Colin McHugh, you know, so there was a lot of injuries this year, and he just wasn't, and, you know, when you, um, you know, Chris Sale's surgery was in April, so they could have replaced him, but they didn't, so they really didn't set him up, uh, Bloom really didn't set him up for much success, um, 
you know, they had a lot of guys that they were just like, you know, trying out, seeing, you know, a lot of guys that were DFA by other teams, trying them out, seeing if they would do stuff or if they would, you know, if they found, uh, you know, some gold and whatever it's called. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, no, I mean, you know, he just wasn't set up for a good, a good year. And it was obvious. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think when you look back at it, um, he kind of it's weird. It's like if Alex Cora didn't cheat in Houston, uh, Ron Renneke would just probably be moving on to his fourth year as the bench coach right now. You know, like (laughs) it's just a weird um, now he's not going to be back as the bench coach, most likely, no matter who the manager is. And um, because he was the manager and, and that would probably be awkward. I think the million dollar question that we're tasked to answer in the next month or month and a half and that everybody's wondering and that friends and family and everybody on Twitter wants to know is, will Alex Cora be back as the manager of the Red Sox in 2021? Uh, I think, you know, I go back and forth personally, but um, I thought it was really, really funny that kind of the way that everybody reacted to Bloom's comments and the comments from uh, the day that Renneke was fired. Uh, and I wrote about this. It was like, you know, what color is the dress is the best way to put it. You know, that dress that came out a few years ago where some people thought it was one color and others thought it was a different color. Half the beat wrote, uh, you know, Bloom rules out Alex Cora reunion or read between the lines and it doesn't sound like he's coming back. And the other half of the people on the call wrote, well, it looks like if you read between the lines, Bloom is uh, <laughs> hinting that Alex Cora is going to be back. So, um, I, I didn't actually take either stance at the time because I thought it was just confusing. Um, but I definitely wouldn't have taken either of those two uh, polarizing sides. And I wrote about how um, that shows that he actually did a really good job if he wanted to confuse people, if he wanted to deflect the question. The fact that people could hear the same quotes and take literally 180 degree opposites away from it um, was a success on his part. First off, what did you think of those specific comments and then where do you stand now on it? Yeah, so I thought that when he said them, and I still think it, that he's not ruling out Cora and that Cora has a good chance of coming back. So I'm on the side of the the dress side where I think that there is a good chance that Cora comes back. Um, You know, basically he didn't say, I haven't ruled out Cora, he's not a candidate, he didn't say that. Um, You know, he said, I need to talk to him, or I need to, whatever I, what did he say, whatever I... um, Anything I haven't said to Alex, I'm not going to say about him publicly. Exactly. um, You can't talk to him until after the season. So what he's either planning to tell him is you're not a candidate or, you know, let's go. You know what I mean? Exactly. uh, Yeah. The the only 100% takeaway, and I wrote this last week, is that um, there is a conversation that's going to be had between the two of them. That's, you know, kind of the only thing that you could really take away from it. And also that he didn't rule it out completely. Yeah, I think there'll definitely be a conversation between the two of them, and it should be. Um, you know, you look at the way that Devers came in out of shape, the uh, way that Devers got frustrated at times. The You know, he took a step back defensively. You know, Alex Cora really helped out guys like Devers, Bogarts, Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, some, some of the, um, you know, Latin players that, you know, needed to get over the top a little bit. He, you know, he uh, a push over the top. He pushed them and he challenged them. I mean, he's, you know, I mean, the guys love him. You know, Eduardo Rodriguez was really upset when, you know, when, when Alex Cora was fired. And so and these are the um, guys that remembering back to 18, those were the tough love guys, not Bogart necessarily because he was already more established and, and better, but. Devers and Rodriguez were the guys that Cora 
pushed publicly and definitely privately. And, um, you know, it wasn't always easy relationships with those guys. But by the end of 19, those are probably, you know, the two breakout stars and guys that were young pieces of the core trending in the right direction. And they basically credited Alex with most of that. Yeah, I think that, you know, it was clear in everybody saw it throughout the year. Um, you know, it, it was funny on Nesson. It was mid-September or something. Raphael Devers didn't run out of ball. And Jerry Remy said on the broadcast, on the Nesson broadcast, he said, if Alex Gore was the manager, that wouldn't happen. He would say something to him. And it was obvious then, if it wasn't obvious before, that Renicky wasn't the, you know, correct manager for this team. You know, you need somebody that has the ability to criticize players, to to get on them a little bit. Runicky was never going to ne- never going to be that guy. He didn't feel like he could be that guy because, you know, I talked to him back at spring training about that, you know, spring training number one. And, you know, he said that he was never going to criticize players. And so, um, you know, I think that they need somebody to push, um, you know, these players and get them to be better, criticize them, tell them what they're doing wrong, tell them if they're not running to the base, uh, you know, tell them to, to start hustling. And I think there's more people that can do that than just Alex Cora. But mm-hmm. Alex Cora is obviously the, you know, the guy that everybody on this team loves. I mean, there's there's plenty of guys that could do it. I mean, you know, you look at Carlos Pena, who's got in his name hasn't even been brought up besides me. Pretty much. I keep bringing it up. Yeah. But like he's a very similar personality to Alex Cora, um, you know, and, and he's respected with players and stuff like that. And he's a younger guy and you know, he can get really get through them. So, I, you know, there's there's plenty of guys that aren't even being talked about, like Carlos Pena, that could do this, you know, that, that could be similar to Alex Cora and his personality. Yeah, I mean, that's that's clear, I think. But if you're going to bring in someone similar, why not bring in the guy that, uh, you know, is everybody knows and everybody wants and is familiar and knows how to win in this market and, and knows how to deal with the media and everything and all the scrutiny? I think it's a more palatable time than maybe we could have envisioned because all of a sudden with everything that's happened in the world since January, the Astros cheating scandal, I mean, who really cares? I think, you know, no one talks about it anymore. I think in the, in the wake of a pandemic, 80 80 million people on Twitter that are sharing for them to lose right now. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I see that, but it's just like in in the grand scheme of things, exactly. It just doesn't really matter. And so therefore, you could bring him back and people wouldn't criticize you as much as they would have if no, I don't that was still would a big criticize story. Them. And I think that A.J. Hinch is going to get a job, too. Um, you know, I mean, if not this year, you know, there's only pretty much two positions available. The Red Sox yeah, well, it also sounds Tigers, like he's a favorite so. for Detroit. So, yeah, I would if I was Detroit, I'd go for him. So, uh, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, <laughs> these things happen and people get second chances and it's not like, you know, <laughs> He broke the law here. It was that he, you know, he stole some signs in baseball. So, I mean, you know, you should, he should get a second chance. Yeah. And everybody in the, with the Red Sox from Sam Kennedy, to John Henry and Heim Bloom and everybody else has said that Ron Renicky, even uh, for a question that I asked on the last day said, you know, he deserves to be managing and um, he's a great manager and he hopes to get a second chance, whether it's here uh, or elsewhere. You just talked about Carlos Pena a little bit and he's not someone that I've seen really it's talked about a lot. Like you said, he's kind of a guy you keep hammering and it makes a lot of sense. There's obviously the connection with bloom because Payne really you know his heyday or his prime was in Tampa. Um, he's a guy who grew up around here, went Northeastern the whole bit. 
Yeah, um, April. But but in terms of uh, some of the other candidates that people are mentioning, there's just nobody to me that jumps out as anything that's going to excite the fan base. And I'm not going to uh, Jason Veritek. I might be the exception, but he's <laughs> not getting it. So it doesn't matter. Um, we can kind of rule him, pretty much rule him out already. When we talk about these guys, whether it's Matt Quattraro, who I think is kind of the, the name you keep hearing, the Rays bench coach, um, a guy we talked about before we were on here, James Rousen, who's on the Miami coaching staff. I think his exact, I think he might be the bench coach, but exact role is like the offensive coordinator, which is a, cre- a title they created. Uh, George Lombard, who's a uh, coach who used to be with the Red Sox, uh, I believe, now is the Dodgers' first base coach. He's been talked about a little bit. Mark Kotze in Oakland is the guy who played here. He interviewed back uh, in January or February when they were looking to replace Cora and ended up hiring Renicky for internal candidates. You have Faye Blaise, which they probably won't go with him. If, if they're not going to go with Cora, they're not going to go with someone internal. Um, and then Billy McMillan, a triple A, who I don't think really has much of a shot either. Um, Although they do like him a lot. Yeah. Billy I mean, he's, so I, think he's, he, I don't think he has, a, I don't think he's going to get it, but I think he might have a better shot than you'd think. Why? Just because he's been around with the organization so long. Yeah, I mean, and you know, they really like his his style, his attitude, you know, how how he responds to the players, how those players respond to him. Um, you know, I've heard that they really like Billy McMillan. Okay, well that's interesting. I mean, I, again, like you said, probably not the favorite, but but I mean, uh, I, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that that's Bloom loves him. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, people within the Red Sox organization, he's been a guy that they they've looked at and they you know they 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 like. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think when you look at you know some of these other guys, like I said, nobody jumps out. Nobody's super exciting. Um, and then there's also not that you know sexy established candidate. Dusty Baker is going to be back in Houston next year. He's not out there. Joe Girardi was out there a year ago. He's going to be in Philly. Garden Hire is retired. Um, you know, I think you can look at guys that have been out of the game for a while. Buck Showalter is one of them. Um, you know, I don't think any of those guys are really likely to come in here. They, they probably don't want to. Those are not the types of guys who come in and help in a rebuild right away. Um, so I think that you're looking at basically, and no offense to these guys, because I'm sure they do a fine job, but a lot of candidates that the fan base is going to look at is really boring. And then you have Alex Cora. And at the end of the day, with interest this low, I don't trust ownership to not come in and meddle and choose Cora um, at the end of the day. And they can say, until and this is such a cliche, stupid thing, but until the cows come home, they can say that they're not going to meddle and that Heim Bloom's going to make the ultimate decision. But and I wasn't on the beat at this point, and I don't think you are either. Or you might have been kind of half on it. I'm sure they gave Ben Sherrington the full vote of confidence to make the decision on the manager in 2011, <laughs> and he hired Dale Swaim basically or offered it to him, and then they said, "Yeah, no, let's go with Bobby V, who is." Uh, was a disaster. So I, I just don't trust that they're not going to have history repeat itself there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny though, when you look at that, and as you said, there's not many guys that are interesting that, that, you know, that will excite the fan base, but you look at a guy like Sam fold or, or Mark Kotze and they're really big in analytics. Mark Kotze, I think is kind of a combination of analytics and old school. And, and, you know, that they understand why, you know, the, the number two and the number four hitter are your two best hitters on your team. And, you know, I asked that to Renicky and he said, Oh, I'll get back to you. But that's, this is what they, I mean, these guys know, 
um, analytics. And so, and you know, when, you know, Bloom has always said he doesn't write out lineups, but, and send them down. But, you know, if he has his own guy, like there are suggestions, obviously there will be heavy suggestions and, you know, he'll be able to. And and by the way, I, I don't, I know it's not what you're doing, but just the, the idea, like, um, you know, Renicky is 64, so he couldn't possibly, <laughs> no, you know, I, under, yeah. understand analytics. I hate that criticism that comes in because obviously he's adapting and learning these things. But his job is to go off his instincts and his instincts, what he's learned. And in, I don't know, 30 of the first 40 years of his career as a player, a coach and a manager, these numbers weren't available. So he's going to rely on those, obviously. But continue. No, I think that he, you know, learned a lot about the numbers, you know, not just this year, but, you know, under Cora. And as bench coach, um, a lot of these numbers are, you know, are things that, you know, Alex Cora didn't necessarily have when he was playing. I mean, a lot of this is just popping up anyway. So to say like yeah. Renicky, you know, oh, Renicky didn't have this while he was playing or when he was, you know, coaching for so many years in the minors. And then when he was coaching Milwaukee, well, you know what? I mean, Alex Cora didn't have these really as a player. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. the the number of shifts and everything is just it's it's incredible. You see, like every year, Jackie Bradley sh- shifted on like 20 percent more. And so, like, but what I'm saying there is too is is that um, you know, I mean, there are in you know there are guys though that that study it and don't know it that well either. <laughs> uh, the Cowboys, uh, Mike McCarthy spent a whole off-season studying <laughs> analytics, right? Yeah. And, you know, what did that I think they're him? I think they're playing what 10 defenders three? this year, actually. What's that? I think they're playing 10 men on defense this year based on the point <laughs> yeah. totals they've given up. Exactly. So it's like, you know, just because you know why, uh, you know, this guy should be, the, or the most production comes from here, and, you know, three-hitter isn't as important as it was back in the day, just because you know all that and you study it doesn't mean that, you know, it's going to work either. Yeah, definitely. I think it comes down to this for me, and I wrote this uh, two of my kind of analytical, not in the numbers way, but um, analysis pieces on this managerial search. There are two things. Number one, we couldn't really tell what Bloom meant, and that's fine. Number two, timing is going to be everything. Really important to note, interesting to note, and the Bobby V uh, search is thrown out because it was completely ridiculous, as everybody knows, and I just kind of talked about why. But the last two searches, the Farrell search and the Cora search, the Red Sox fired their uh, manager right at the end of the season. So Bobby V in uh, 2012 and uh, John Farrell in 2017, they fired them at the end of the season or a couple of days later, and they installed the managers on both of those occasions. Um, Farrell was hired on October 20th or 21st of that year in 2012. And Cora was hired and a done deal on October 20th in the middle of the ALCS that he was the bench coach for the Astros. Um, So those deals were done within three weeks of the previous guy getting fired. So now we're recording this on October 7th. It'll be out on October 8th. Um, And we've heard nothing about interviews, which last time we heard a lot of guys leak out Orietta. Kotze, Gibbons, Fables, Renicky, obviously. Um, I believe there are a couple others. We heard those names starting to leak out. And here, you've heard virtually nothing in terms of rumors in yeah. 10 days. Yeah, it's funny. I was actually thinking about this because, you know, even though... It hurts us because we don't have anything to write about, but also exactly. we don't know what's going on. 
but you know, I mean, even though they said, you know, even though names came out the last time, uh, in January and February after Cora was fired, um, you know, they, they said that they were not going to leave, like they were going to try to keep it, you know, as tight as possible. They weren't going to leak any information and they weren't going to yeah. talk about candidates at all. And that's the thing again. And it's funny because you, you bring up Bobby V's name and it was, it was an unbelievable thing that went on that off season. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just going to say you, this actually. If you, and you, so you know about this, like yeah. I was at Fenway park, like every other week or every, every five days, uh, you know, talking to a candidate that it interviewed for the job the entire day with Ben Sherrington and then ownership. Uh, they allowed us to interview every candidate. It was it was crazy. It was like part of the interview because they wanted to see how they'd handle the Boston want, media, too. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in that, as you said, what does it really matter at the end when they just picked Bobby Valentine, right? Yeah, well, we, <laughs> they brought in Pete McCannon and Sandy Alomar and Gene yeah. Lamont. Right. Yeah. Those types of guys. And yeah, I mean, it was it was unbelievable. We were, we were Bobby in Fenway v like every one of those week. Sessions, right. Yeah. Bobby V had one of those sessions. This was he interesting. Is. And so, um, you know, but I obviously Bloom wants to keep this thing, um, you know, secret. And I think that yeah. it's it's interesting. I actually probably will email him. Has he interviewed anybody? I mean, you know, just because he won't talk about candidates, has he interviewed anybody yet? And mm-hmm. if that's an indication on whether they're going to wait to talk to, to Alex Gore after the World Series ends, if they haven't interviewed anybody yet and they, you know, they don't have any interviews planned. OK, I mean, that's that's all well and good, right, that they can say that they're not going to leak any candidates out. And, yeah, they're not. And they're not going to go on the record doing it. But these things leak out because when yeah. Mark Kotze, let's say, is interviewing you know, the athletics know about it and maybe the San Francisco Chronicle breaks it. I think they did last time. Uh, or if Orietta is interviewing you it. someone had, well, I had, I, I think well, I had one of them. I had Renneke and Fabulous, but that was kind of a layup. But, uh, and Kotze, oh, yeah, Kotze. Yeah, I might have, but I know the San Francisco Chronicle wrote about it too. I mean, there things leak out is what I'm trying to say. I mean, like, yeah. and the fact that, you know, I think Rosenthal had that Gibbons interviewed. These guys have agents who are going to tell people things. These guys have reporter contacts themselves. Things leak out. I mean, it's been nothing. There's not even like, oh, the Red Sox are assembling a list. In contrast, you look up in Detroit, and uh, <laughs> Al Avila, their GM, said Alex Cora and A.J. Hinch are on my list, which means they're not going to make their hire until they can talk to these guys. Uh, I don't even think we've said this basic fact yet, but neither t- team or any team that's interviewing managerial candidates or wants Alex Cora or AJ Hinch for another job, maybe can talk to them until the conclusion of the world series when their suspensions end. So if the Red Sox managerial search was heating up at this point, it would point to Alex Cora not being the guy. It's zero indications through 10 days that they've really done any groundwork. And every day that passes with little news is you can give Hyman and the crew, Hyman, his crew as Ron Renneke liked to say a lot of credit for keeping it close to the vest and maybe they're making progress. But to me, it says they're not going to really dive into this thing until they can talk to Cora. And they don't need to, because, you know, you talk about getting things squared away before the GM meetings in November. Well, there aren't going to be any GM meetings this year, you know, and, and, and they don't have to. And the other well, thing is that I wrote this, that not to completely cut you off, but I did is, uh, I think in both of the last two times they did this, there was five other teams that they were competing yeah. with. That's yeah. That's the other thing. And so, um, you know, I mean, unless 
you know that the Detroit Tigers really like somebody and they're about to hire him and uh, and you want him, then, you know, there's no reason not to, you know, wait until after the World Series and talk to, you know, Alex Cora. These guys are all going to be there at that time. Yeah, man, that's that's I mean, like I said, it's October 7th. It's going to be this is going to go live on October 8th. If they hire a manager before October 20th at this point, I would be shocked. And at that point, you're seven oh, yeah. days away from being able to talk to Alex Cora. So why not just just wait it out? Uh, to me, it's it's Cora and the field. And at the end of the season, you know, I had heard multiple positive indications, not really anything set in stone or anything like that you can really report. But um, a lot of like kind of whispers that things are pointing in a positive direction for a reunion there. So we'll see. I, I would say I would give it 65 35 right now if there is a gun to my head, but um, we, it truly depends on how high and ownership is thinking. So I, I really, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't him, but, but I think just because what I said earlier, there's not, no one else that stands out to me. Um, I think he is the favorite. Yeah. And somebody asked me the same thing about percentages on it. And I said 60%, and and I had said 40% before that press conference, the end of the year press conference. But you know, I upped it to 60%. I think I feel like he's the favorite. I feel like they didn't rule him out, and that um, you know he's you know, and it was an interesting thing that Jen uh, McCaffrey had asked him, like you know, do you want your own guy? I mean, is that important? Because you know, when he came in here with Alex Cora. Um, you know, he wasn't able to pick his own manager at that point. And he said an interesting thing. He said, you know, there's a lot of guys that help you in an organization that you inherit that have been there before you that, you know, you, you just can't, you know, have a short sighted sense because, you know, then, then you lose some really good people. And so, um, you know, while you can say that Alex core really isn't his guy, maybe he'll look at it like Alex core won a world series with this, with, you know, with the core of young players that are on this team, uh, minus Mookie Betts. And even though he's not my guy, you know, he's the right guy for the situation. And that's, you know, I'm, you know, he's doing what's best for the team, not for, you know, his own relationship either, which I'm yeah. sure he will probably have a fine relationship with core. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I, mean? I was just going to say early indications were that the two of them were getting along really well. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I just, I just feel like it's a, it's, and they're two months you know, together during an off yeah. season, but well, so I feel like there's a good chance that, you know, something's going to happen where, you know, we see quarterback and it's, you know, it's interesting. Then who does he pick as his bench coach? You know, some of these guys that, you know, we talk about as, as potential candidates that don't have much experience, like, you know, Sam Fold or Mark Cote. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know Mark Cote was a bench coach at one point, but yeah, I mean, you know, these, there there are some interesting options as bench coach, which I shouldn't really get into now because they don't have a manager yet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and yeah, and and it would be interesting to see. I, I don't think it would be Ron, but that would be quite the interesting thing if they if he came back as a bench coach and uh, very uh, way ahead of ourselves as you mentioned. Well, Only Renicky? a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't see what, I just don't see Renicky wanting to do that. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. It is awkward. You can't, I mean, it's, it would can't, be awkward. Can't not be awkward. Um, a couple minutes left here, but that is the big story of October for the Red Sox. Clearly, uh, it's, uh, for, for a team that's in the postseason so frequently, it's, you know, just interesting to, to be sitting here and that's 
really the story. It was, you know, kind of the same. It's been the same case a few times in the last 10 years. Other things on the immediate radar for the Red Sox um, want to get into. There's two option decisions. One's uh, pretty cut and dry. It seems like J.D. Martinez will opt in and return after the bad year he had. And then they have maybe a little bit of a tougher decision on Martin Perez. Um, bring him back for, I think it's six and a quarter or six and a half million next year. He pitched pretty well throughout the entire year, um, other than two bad starts to bookend it against Baltimore at Fenway. I say yes. What do you say on Martin? Yeah, I think it's a, uh, it's a no brainer. Although I don't think, I don't think they view it that way though. That's I don't think they view it that way. To me, it's a no brainer. And this is why I say it's a no brainer because even if you don't want, you know, Martin Perez, back in your rotation next year you could trade him during the off season you know get a prospect and then add a mid-rotation guy you know such as you know jake odorizzi or, or kevin gosman somebody that mm-hmm. you know you've mentioned odorizzi um somebody like that uh cory kluber's another interesting guy his you know his option isn't going to probably be picked up since he's only started eight games over the last two years and Pitch he's, one a, he's a guy year. who also lives here during the off season uh, Corey, Corey Kluber. Yeah. His wife's from Massachusetts and he lives in Boston. Okay. I didn't know that. So oh, great. there you go. And so, yeah, I mean, look, look, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. Cause he's like two years removed from being one of the best pitchers in baseball, if not the best. And a guy that was so dominant in the postseason for, for years with Cleveland during that 2016 run, he was, you know, he reminded you of, you know, Josh Beckett and Kurt Schilling when they were, you know, with the Red Sox doing that mm-hmm. type of thing. So, um, you know, I could see, um, I could see him definitely as an option. I don't, I don't think that they would want to pick up that $19 million option on him, uh, the Rangers. And I think that what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot more options declined in this yep. economy. And we're going to see a lot more players non-tendered. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be, you know, you, you look at it, and you look at like Odorizzi and Gosman and certain guys that are on the market or going to be on the market as free agents. Well, a few weeks after that, when non-tenders happen, then there's going to be probably a lot more good mid-rotation guys that are put out there. Yeah, and and I think you know that's where Heim, and with a limited payroll last year, tried to really make his moves during the off season. I, I don't know if. Perez had a declined option. I kind of feel like he did with the Twins, and that's why he was available. Um, he's a guy coming off a one-year deal. Ploiecki was non-tendered. Peraza, who was a disaster, was non-tendered. And uh, Pilar had his option declined at the end of the year. So those are the kind of free agents that he likes to pursue, change of scenery guys, and obviously uh, some worked out better than others. Uh, that's your first off-season version of the Fenway Rundown. That's Chris Smith. I'm Chris Cotillo. Lots of news coming your way until we get back to spring training, which will probably be virtual in February. Um, but until then, keep reading on Mass Live, and uh, we'll check in soon, probably um, before this managerial search concludes, because I don't think it's concluding until November 15th.